Well, our subject this morning, somewhat with our theme of overall for today of creation, we're going to be looking at the great I am, the great I am. Well, let's bow our heads and just seek the Lord, and then we'll dive into our Bibles. My Father in heaven, thank you so much again for the Sabbath. Thank you for the baptism that we have seen today already. And we just pray, Lord, that uh, you would come into our hearts and minds through your word and the agency of the Holy Spirit, that we would receive the word, the message you have for us, and we would be transformed by it. We don't want to just be informed, but we want to be transformed as you desire each one of us to be. And so bless us now, and we just invite your presence here, and we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. The great I am. No, there are many names for God. In fact, if you go looking, there's a dozen, there's 50, there's 100. I found one website that even said and, and had listed 950 names for God. 900 and, with biblical references. So if you're interested, I can, I can share it with you. But there's something significant this morning about I am. Something significant to, to you and I as we study our Bibles today. So we're going to be looking at that particular name. And as we dive right into our Bibles today, I've got lots of verses. We'll have most of them on the screen. I hope you'll be able to follow along. But let's go to Revelation chapter 14, a chapter we're familiar with quite a bit as Seventh-day Adventists, and verse 1. And we read there, John says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion. And with him, who is with him? An hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written where? Key location in their foreheads. Forehead is the mind. It is the seat of decision-making power, the will. Our choices are made in our foreheads, our frontal lobe, where I choose and decide whatever I choose. So the father's name, and this is the 144,000, correct? Is in their foreheads. Now, we're going to just skip back a few chapters to Revelation 7, and it's the same group of people, the 144,000, and notice this description about them, describing the same class, 144,000. John says, and after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having what? having the seal of the living God. And he cried with the loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. And then what did this angel that ascended from the east say? Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God. Where? Same location as the name of God in Revelation 14. In their foreheads. And just to be clear, in the context that we're talking about the same class, in verse 4, John says, And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed an hundred and forty-four thousand. Same group. And so we read those two verses just to make the clear connection that God's name and God's seal are connected together. Do you see that there's a connection when you have the name of God in your forehead, and then you also have the seal of God in your forehead? There is a connection. Biblically, we can see that. So the 144,000 have two things as described in Scripture. Number one, the name of God, and then also the seal of God. So if we can accurately determine and understand the name of God, it'll also give us a clear picture of the seal of God, the name and the seal being closely related together. 
Now, from Revelation, we jump all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 and the story of Moses and the burning bush. Moses, you recall, grew up the son of Pharaoh's daughter in Egypt after being rescued there from a basket in the bulrushes. And after killing an Egyptian and fleeing for his life, he spent 40 years tending sheep out in the wilderness, tending sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro. And it was while he was tending sheep one day, as he was walking along, that he noticed a bush that was burning and it was not being consumed. And so, very interesting, of course, we know this is none other than God who condescended to meet Moses here in such a humble manner. You know, is God humble? Yes or no? Yes, that's an easy question, easy response. Yes, he is humble. When Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come as a hulking, muscle-bound, great conquering champion or king outwardly. He came as a, as a suffering servant. But at any rate, this lowly bush, and, and it's at this point where God speaks to Moses and tells him that he is to be the deliverer of God's people. So now we pick up in verse 13 and 14 our scripture reading where Moses, after being told by God, you are to go and lead out my people. Moses was thinking he was trained in the military. He was trained as a general. I am going to be the head of the armies of Israel. I'll organize into companies and and battalions and will go out and fight, you know, military might to military might. And, And Moses was, as a general, par excellence. He was trained as a general, but 40 years of tending sheep God had another purpose for him to learn something else. And so Moses asked the question, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, you've called me to go and deliver them, what, you know, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, what is his name? That is the children of Israel, as he goes back to rescue them, who are you talking about? What is his name, the God that sent you to rescue us? Moses is asking God, what shall I say to them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. That name actually is full of meaning and significance. We'll find today, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. I am. And then he continues on in verse 15. And God said, moreover unto Moses, this is interesting, until reading and studying some this week, I had not picked up on this phrase that I have highlighted and underlined. Not picked up on this before when I'd read this. God said, moreover unto Moses, thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name, how long? Forever. And this is my, what is the word? Memorial unto all generations. Do you see the connection? God's name is a memorial, as he's describing it to Moses. And what name is a memorial? I am that I am. That is a very significant... How is that a memorial? What, so his name again, I am that I am, but I want you to notice that I am that I am is really saying, I am who I am. I am who I am, and that actually tells us two things, two very important things. Number one, I am, that tells us God is, that he exists. And we understand very clearly he has an eternal existence in eternity past. He has an eternal existence in eternity future, eternal existence. But that, brothers and sisters, is not enough information for us to know about God. He wants us to know who he is. Who is God? 
I am who I am. This is the name you shall tell unto the children of Israel. And so, brothers and sisters, I would tell you or submit to you, until we know who he is, we do not really know God. It's not enough just to know there's an eternal existent being that's out there somewhere in the vast universe that existed from all times. That's not enough for for God. He is explaining in his name, I want you to know more about me. I am who I am. And so, to be clear, Jesus picks up on this same language in the New Testament. It's Jesus that's speaking to Moses in the burning bush. And you might say, well, how do you know? Well, I think it's clear as Jesus picks up this same reference in John 8, he was being brutally questioned and contradicted by the the scribes and Pharisees. And so Jesus reaches a point in discussion with them, and he says unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And this is Jesus speaking to them, picking up the name I am from where it was mentioned previously in Exodus. And so, did they understand what Jesus was saying? They did, because look at verse 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him. Because stoning was the death for blasphemy. Anyone that would claim to be God in a blasphemous way, but was Jesus God? Yes. So this is not blasphemy, but nonetheless, he took up that form, that name of I am. And so we're talking about Jesus today. Friends, God wants us to believe in more than just his existence more than just his existence, and we pick up this same point that God's name carries with it two things. It's a memorial for forever for who he is. And I hope you're following the, the thought process this morning because we're actually going somewhere very significant. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, picking up the same idea, two pieces of the name of God, but without faith it is impossible to please him, speaking of God, for he or she that comes to God must believe, number one, that he is And number two, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What is the reward for those who seek God? It is himself. That is correct. We read about that in Genesis 12 where God said to Abraham, I am thy great and exceeding reward when he was speaking to him. The reward is God. It is who he is. It is his character. It is his life. It is his attributes. It is all about God. It is his strength and his power But in order to rightly understand and appropriate the blessings and the power of God, we must first, on the other hand, know who he is so that we will rightly use the gifts that he has given to us. Do you follow that? Does that make sense to you? He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with how much of your heart? All of your heart, Jeremiah 29, verse 13. So the question that comes to us this morning, what is the first thing that God is to everyone in the universe? The first thing, as it relates to you and me and every other being in the universe. And the picture is a strong clue. Very, very strong clue. He is our creator. He is the one that we owe our source of existence to. As our creator, that is what God wants us to know. I am who I am. I am your creator. Not only do I exist for all time, but I am the being that brought you into existence by my power. I am your creator, and therefore we stand in the relation as being his creation because he is the creator. So, very simply, very plainly, the first thing for people to know about God, first in order of sequence, and maybe even in order of importance, is to know God as their creator. You know, when Adam and Eve stood in the Garden of Eden when they were just created, 
did they need a savior? They did not need a savior because they had not sinned. But did they need a creator? Yes, you have to have a creator in order to exist. And so the fact that God is our creator stands in really a preeminent, prominent point in our relationship with him. I recognize he is the creator and I am his creation. Very, very significant. Now, we see this idea that he gives us in Exodus 3 that his name is a memorial that is forever. What is his memorial that is inseparable with his name? If we go to Ezekiel chapter 20, in verse 20 and also in verse 12, very similar language, God says, and hallow my Sabbaths. Wait, whose Sabbaths are they? My Sabbath. This is God speaking. This is not some, the people's Sabbath, the church's Sabbath. It's my Sabbath. God is the one who's saying, they are mine. I am the one who has given it. And they shall be a sign between me and you that ye may know that what? I am. I am, I exist, and I am the Lord your God as your creator. And so just as his name is a memorial that he is the creator, he has given the Sabbath as a memorial that he is our creator. They go together. They are the same. The memorial and the name are the same. God is our creator. And that is first importance as to what we should know about him. Know him as our creator. Very significant. Well, my next question, have people forgotten about their creator? Statistically, this is from a Gallup poll where they conduct all kinds of research with scientific polling. And so the data that they take with these samples across the country are deemed to be highly accurate within a few percentage points of perfect. And so the most recent statistic in July of 2019, a little over a year ago, a poll was conducted in which 40% of Americans actually believe in creationism. What is the first thing to know? God is our creator, and most people have lost that understanding. In fact, here is the the chart. I don't know if you can see it very well. It is small. I tried to blow it up as much as I could, but it is interesting to notice, and I should go back, that here in this article, more Americans continue to think that humans evolved over millions of years. So that's actually growing. People believe in evolution, which more or less takes God out of the picture, and everything happened by random chance. This is a good way to get rid of God. We're all just random accidents, randomly just floating around in the universe like this morning. That was a powerful video that Vicky showed this morning of the whole cosmos and the galaxy and how small in comparison the earth really is, and yet this is where God came and lived and died, and he is coming again to rescue us. This is where the focus of all heaven is, and in compared to all the stars and galaxies and solar systems, it is just a, a small pale blue dot from outer space far away, as if nothingness, as a speck of dust, and yet God loves each one of us so much that he gave his own life for us. But amazing, absolutely amazing. And so it is growing. If you look at the the graph here, they've been doing this poll since 1982. When I was in second grade, long time ago, 1982. And you can see the trend here trending downward in the number of people that believe in, in creation. And you can see the trend here on the bottom line ticking up, 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 up in those who believe in evolution and that God is not in any way part of our existence. Very interesting it is. And yet God has given something that will keep him in our minds as the creator, and it is the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a sign of who God is as well as that he is. I am who I am, 
and it is the Sabbath, it brings him to mind every week. It's not enough just once a month or once a year. God wants us to specially bring him to mind on a day that he has chosen. And so is it any wonder that the devil has tried to get God out of people's minds and just forget that he exists? It should be no surprise. Because the devil doesn't want you to think about your creator, the one who can supply all of your needs, who has created and given you life. He doesn't want you to think about him. And so whatever he can come up with to distract you or to divert you from that key fact is what he is all about. So the first thing that the Sabbath signifies is that God is our creator. And he chose a day for us to remember him, and it is the seventh day. God wants us to remember the memorial that will bring him to our minds. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember is what I do with my mind to keep it holy. Exodus 20, verse 8. Right there, the very beginning of the fourth commandment. Do not forget it. The only commandment that begins with remember because certainly God foresaw in ages to come when he gave the commandments there at Mount Sinai that it would be a tendency for humanity to forget their creator, to forget their God, and to live in no reference to their creator. Well, does God want to be in people's minds? Does he want you to think about him? He created your minds. Does he want to be in your mind? Romans 7 verse 25, the apostle says, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. God wants us to think about him and to dwell upon what he has asked us and called us to do. Now let me ask this question. What is the purpose of a memorial? The purpose of a memorial. Memorial has the word memory. To think of something that is significant. And I just have a few examples up here. The Iwo Jima Memorial there in Washington. To remember the valor of the soldiers that fought there in that tiny little place over in the Pacific Ocean in World War II. We've got Lincoln Memorial all to himself, a president who has played a very prominent part in our our history, American history. And so we want to remember this person, remember the war, and then for tragic events. A number of years ago, I was traveling through Oklahoma City and visited the Oklahoma City Bombing Memorial, and that's it over to the right. And so to remember this tragic event, not to forget. September 11 Memorial, not to forget. These are things that are man-made to help remember certain things. And yet God has given us time. He has given us his own time as a memorial that we might bring him to mind and recall and understand who he is to each one of us as our creator. Now let's continue with this thinking and ask how did God manifest himself in creation? What did he actually do as creator? Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 gives us insight. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things and then it says by whom also he did what? He made the worlds. He made the worlds, the planets, the solar systems, the galaxies, all the stars and all their hosts. In fact, we read that he even calls them by name in Scripture. He calls them by name. Then, moving over to John, in the same thought, asking the question, how did God manifest himself in creation? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and now it tells us how much was made by him. All things were made by him. How much is all? 
It's everything. All things were made by him. And then it says in different language, the same idea. And without him was not anything made that was made. And then if we jump down to verse 14 in the same chapter, who is this word? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, a direct, clear reference to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word of God. Don't miss this. Do you see that? The word of God, the message, God wrought through the word of God when he created this world. We see the same idea in a different uh, language in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word that God spoke through. And so God in creation manifested himself in and through Jesus Christ. Is that so? It is through Jesus Christ that God manifested and created this world. And so to know anything about God, we must also first know Jesus. Do you see that? Because all things were created by Jesus, we must know Jesus in order to understand God because God wrought through Jesus in the creation of all things. I hope that is clear, very clear. So how did God manifest himself in Christ in creation? These are foundational verses as we look at Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9. It says, By the word of the Lord, Jesus is the word, remember, were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Dropping down to verse 9, For he spake, and it was done, and he commanded, and it stood fast. When God speaks something, it comes into existence. He has the power to create something out of nothing. I have a slide on that in just a moment. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, Through faith we understand. Faith is not just random blindness. Faith is based on what God tells us in his word. That is the foundation of belief is something God has said, and I trust and rest upon that. Through faith I understand, I have understanding, not blindness, but understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which were seen were not made of things which do appear. What does it mean things which were seen were not made of things which do appear? It's a way of saying God is the one who has the power to create out of nothing. There is a Latin phrase for this, creation ex nihilo. And I probably butchered that. I don't speak Latin. But creation out of nothing. You know, when an artist, a Monet or a Raphael, paints an exquisite painting... They use paints and brushes and canvas that are pre-existing to create something. When a sculptor, Michelangelo, sculpts something out of marble, they use tools and they use marble that are pre-existing. They create a masterpiece, but they're using pre-existing materials. I mean, whoever created or made the phones and, and electronics that we have, they're using pre-existing material. Only God has the power to create Something out of nothing. Only God. And the power is contained in the word of God. And so here's how this is described in Romans 4 verse 17. It says, God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not, they don't exist, until he calls them. Because when he calls them and speaks them, there they are into existence as though they were. That's what this verse is saying. God has the power to call something out of nothing. And he uses the physical creation that we see around us to give us a picture of the spiritual creation he wants to transform us in by the same way. Notice this statement from Education, page 126. The creative energy that called the worlds into existence is found where? 
is found in the Word of God. Creative energy, creative power is contained in the Word of God. This Word imparts power. Don't miss this next part. It begets life. The Word of God has the power to beget life, spiritual life, in all who receive it into the mind by faith. It is into the mind where we receive the name, the character, and the seal of God with our choices and our decisions. It is the mind where God transforms our being. Every command is a promise accepted by the will received into the soul. It brings with it, speaking of the word of God, the life of the infinite one. God's word, it brings his life to us. As we receive those living words, Hebrews 4.12, God's word is living and active. We receive the life of God through the word of God. It transforms the nature and recreates the soul in the image of God, recreates. Ah, it's the creator, and how does he create? By his word. That is how he creates, and it's the same way in the spiritual realm as it is in the physical realm with the birds and the grass and the trees and the flowers. As those are created by the word of God, it is forgiveness, it is repentance, it is salvation, it is spoken by the word of God, and it happens in our lives when we receive it by faith. Volume 2, Selected Messages. Every true searcher of the word lifts his heart to God, imploring the aid of the Spirit. And he soon discovers that which carried him above all the fictitious statements of the would-be teacher who tries to make up strange ideas and unusual doctrines or teachings and they're making things up that are not based on the sure foundation of the Word of God. But those who study the Word of God will see these tottering theories are not sustained by the Word of the living God. These theories were invented by men who had not learned. Now, don't sleep on this last part of this passage. This statement, they had not learned the first great lesson that God's spirit and life are contained where? In his word, the spirit of God and the life of God are found and contained in the word of God. That is a power. That is the first great lesson to understand. And so we see Jesus using this same idea of understanding of the first great lesson in John six, when he is speaking there to some Jews And they were kind of questioning back and forth with him. And he tells them, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, what do you not have? You have no life. Now, with the people he was talking to, were they breathing? Were they alive? Well, they were, but then he says they weren't. They were physically alive, but we're going to find they were spiritually dead. Compare that with 1 Timothy 5, verse 6, where it says, She that lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. In other words, it's a person who's alive physically, but dead spiritually walking around. And unfortunately, there are many, many people today that are like that. God is waiting to give them spiritual life through the power of his word, which brings with it the very life and spirit of God. And so Jesus speaking here, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath what kind of life? Physical life? That's not what he's talking about. In this analogy, he says, has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And then jumping down to verse 63 of the same chapter, he says, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. And he makes emphatically clear the words that I speak unto you. The words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. As you receive those, you receive the life of God into your life by the word of God. It's so clear. It's the same language in a different analogy in John 15 where Jesus uses the illustration, I'm the vine, you're the branches. 
He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing, verse 5. But notice verse 7. This is the, the vine, the branches. You can't do anything apart from me. You can do nothing. But he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. How do we, we, I abide in Christ by abiding in his words. He abides in me by his words abiding in my mind as I think about them and believe on them and trust and act upon them. You shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Why will it be done unto you? Because it's based on whatever you ask, what God's word says and promises. It's in harmony with the word of God. Therefore, the, the petition that is asked will be in accordance with God's will. And so if God's words are abiding, continuing, living, then that will be our condition. And in Colossians 3, there's many scripture that pick up on the first great lesson, this important point. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. It is God's word that is to live in our minds. And that is what brings with it the very life and the character of God himself. And if it could be any plainer, this is Desire of Ages. One of the major, major conflict of the ages books, page 677. It is through the word that Christ abides or dwells or lives in his followers. It is the word of God because it has the creative energy and the power that brings with it the life of God. That's how God creates. The great I am creates through his word. This is the same vital union that is represented by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. We read those verses in John 6. The words of Christ are spirit and they are life. Receiving them, you receive the life of the vine. And that goes back to the John 15 illustration. It is the word of God that is to live and dwell in our minds. Now, let's ask this question. What keeps the things God's word produces in existence? Does God have to continue speaking all the things that he has spoken into creation in order for them to stay created? Colossians 1, this is a little bit longer passage. We're going to read 1 of verses 14 through 17. In whom we have redemption, speaking of Jesus, through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created, speaking of Jesus, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, and then we find all things were created by him and for him, And he is before all things, and we read all those verses to come to this phrase. And by him, all things, what is the word? Consist, hold together. So friends, the point being is that the word that speaks things into existence also has the power to hold them into their place. The planets in their orbits, the stars, all the things God has created, it is the power in the word of God to hold them together in their continuing operation. All things consist and continue. Here in Hebrews 1 verse 3, we see a similar idea of holding things together by the power of God's word. Speaking of Jesus, that he is the brightness of God's glory and in the express image of God's person. And he upholds all things, holding them up, how? By the word of his power. He upholds them. The word of God has the power to continue in operation the things that God has created. So let me ask a question that might sound strange. What is gravity? And I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to be very deep here. What is gravity? Well, science says that gravity is what holds things up. Well, it just, it, gravity, it, it holds things up in their place, position. But when we study and know who the creator is and how he creates, we understand that gravity is the power of God manifested in Jesus Christ in creation to uphold all things. 
that is a better definition for gravity than just it does what it does. What about cohesion? Cohesion, how does that operate? What is cohesion? It's two words from Latin meaning to and hold together, to hold together. And so what does science say cohesion is? Cohesion means to hold together. In other words, cohesion means cohesion. Well, that's not a really helpful way of defining something. But more clearly and more powerfully, when we understand how God operates, cohesion actually is the power of God manifested in Jesus Christ in creation who speaks these principles and properties through his word and preserves all things. God in Jesus Christ is the preserver of all things. We see it in science. We see it in our lives. In a spiritual sense, it is through the word of God. So what does God speak to us in his word? What are some things? Does God speak forgiveness? Yes, he does. He does. He speaks forgiveness to everyone, every single human being who wants to be forgiven if they will meet the conditions, if we confess our sins. Confessing our sins, then he promises by his word, that he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't feel different. I don't. It's because the word of God has the power to bring about a change just as God has said. He speaks repentance. Repentance is a gift from God. He speaks love. I've loved you with an everlasting love, God says to his people. I've loved you with an eternal everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. God speaks righteousness to us, the paths and the direction of righteousness that he will grant us and give us his righteousness. He speaks transformation. This is just a snippet of things that God has spoken through his word that he longs to create in our lives and bring with it the very life and the Holy Spirit of God to change us as it affects our minds. This is where God meets us. He doesn't talk to my elbow. He doesn't talk to my knee. He meets us in our minds where we choose and have choices. And this is where he places his character and his seal. And this is his name and memorial forever because he is our creator and salvation. I have to quote my favorite Bible verse. Isaiah 45, 22. I always get chilled. This is my favorite Bible. I have many favorites. But this verse says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. And so I love how God is so clear with me. He is speaking to me. Brian, look to me and you will receive salvation. Don't get distracted with other things or whatever else, but look unto me and the results of looking unto Jesus is you will be saved. And he makes the same appeal, not only to me, but to all the ends of the earth. And he makes it emphatic. I am God. I am who I am. And there is none else. There's none else like him because he alone is the creator. No one else is the creator. And so today, we have looked at several things. Number one, it is Jesus. Jesus, who is the great I am that I am. Number two, Jesus' existence is from all eternity. I am, I exist, but he also is the creator of all. I am who I am. That is the relation that he wants us to have and understand with him. Number three, Jesus has given the Sabbath memorial to keep him in our minds. We can be forgetful. I can be forgetful. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one. But to have God in my mind, Jesus says, I'll give you the thing that will do that by giving you my Sabbath so that you will not forget who I am and what I have done for you and what I want to do in changing your life. Number four, Jesus created the world by his word. And that same word that creates also upholds and sustains creation. And then finally, number five, Jesus lives in our lives through the power of his word. That is the agency and the connection that we have with God. And so today, 
I hope it is your desire to spend more time with the great I am, to spend more time with the word of God so that I might come into contact with my creator and know him as the one who created me and has a plan for my life and has a purpose for my life and has all the help that I need given in his word in the promises that he has given. And so today, I hope that it is your desire to become acquainted with your creator. Oh, Father in heaven, how great you are. The highest of the highest heavens cannot contain you. And yet you have condescended to reach each one of us where we are. You love us with an everlasting love. You speak words of forgiveness, of transformation, that we might have your name and have your character and have your seal in our minds. So, Lord, today, put a love for your word in our hearts. May we continue to follow Jesus and know him as our creator and the one who loves us more than any other being in the universe. Bless us now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Let all of God's children say, Amen and Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.